May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm going to start this by just asking the question, anyone here have a $100 bill that you want to just give to me? Not for the offering or anything. Anyone here have a $100 bill you want to come up and, and give? Come on up. Awesome. That worked. Wow. Thank you, Gabe. All right. Okay, so we are starting our series on the God-lived life today. Um, you, you've heard of stewardship series before, right? That's where the church begs you for money. Okay, no, that's not. That's not what it should be, at least. But, but stewardship, you hear that money, and quite often that, you hear that word, and quite often the word money pops into your head, right? Because, well, money is a part of it, but not, not anyone begging you for it. Stewardship has to do with the fact that God has given us everything, right? It's all from God, and we are stewards of it. So he wants us to take care of what he has given us and to use it in ways that he would have us use it. So it's not begging for money. It's God training us in how he would have us use stuff. And anyone curious why it is Gabe was so willing to just stand up and give me $100? Because before the service, I pulled him aside and said, Here, Gabe, here's $100. When I asked you to come up and give it to me, come up and give it to me. So I know he would have done it anyways if he had $100 of his own, but he did that, and it was easy for him because, well, he knew it wasn't his, right? I, I gave it to him. God has given us everything. And he wants us to use it in, in a way that is pleasing. He wants us to practice good stewardship. So, test yourself. When it comes to money, are you a good steward? There's a, there's a pretty simple way to tell, right? Because God tells us that he wants us to give uh, first fruit and trusting and sacrificial and proportionate, you know, percentages of our income for his work. In the Old Testament, he told the people of Israel 10%. That's where he started, and then, then there were other offerings on top of that. But 10% of your income was to go to the temple, to the church. So you can take that test really easily. Either you are or you are not giving 10% of your income to the church's work. But, but, but wait a second. Would that really even answer the question? Because you know that there are times when you can do the activity of something without the heart of something. So just giving an offering, just writing a check or having it automatically withdrawn from your bank account, that's not necessarily the end-all, be-all of good stewardship of, of a God-lived life. And besides, a God-lived life is way more than money. God has given us everything. He's given us the, the air that we breathe, our health, our, our, our opportunities, our relationships, our talents, our skills, our, our passions, our interests. All of those things are a gift from God. And good stewards will use those gifts in ways that the, the owner, the master, would have us use them, right? So, what does a, a God-lived life look like? 
You might notice in, in just the name of this series, a double meaning, right? Uh, we can only live a life for God because God lived his life for us. God became flesh and lived that perfect life in our place and died to pay for all of our failures at a truly God-lived life. And so his God-lived life inspires ours. So each month for the next four, we're going to have one special service to kick off the, the month of, of the series, right? And in that special service, we're going to have a, a Bible study in the service. We're going to talk about one aspect of the God-lived life, and then we'll have a challenge to go for the month following that, a, a challenge on that aspect. We'll be able to challenge ourselves on your way in. You should have gotten one of those challenge cards. We'll be able to challenge ourselves to doing some of the things that, that go into that aspect of the God-lived life. So, so the, the first month here, the aspect of the God-lived life we're talking about is the, the, the life of a disciple. And so you think, what does a God-lived life look like? That depends, doesn't it? You realize that, that things don't always, don't always, aren't always what they seem. They aren't always what they, they look like, right? I mean, you heard the gospel lesson. Jesus told the story about a man who looked like he was living a God-lived life, right? That, that Pharisee, he was in the temple every day. He was saying the prayers at the right time. He was wearing the right things. He was tithing. He was giving his offerings. He was, he was fasting even more than God told them to. He was doing everything. He was checking every single box on that religious to-do list. He was living the God-lived life, or, or at least that's what it looked like. I'm guessing, though, that none of you, when you heard that story in the gospel lesson, were thinking to yourself, that's who I want to be like, the Pharisee. No, he, he was just living the God-looking life, right? He was doing those things for his own pride, his own reputation, Whereas Jesus taught that it was the, the tax collector, the repentant sinner who went home forgiven, who went home with that relationship with God. It was the children, the ones who didn't seem to be worth the time. Those were the ones who received the kingdom of God. It's not always what it looks like. So where do you fall in that gospel lesson. Are you the Pharisee, or are you the tax collector, or, or, or the child? Do you live a God-lived life, or do you seem to live a, a God-lived life? God-lived life is not just doing the right actions. It's not just going through the motions. It, it's being who you are because of who God has made you. Not someone who does things to gain God's favor, but someone who does things entirely because of the favor of God. It's the difference between going through the motions and, and, and experiencing the, the opportunity to, to live your purpose because of who God has made you. The God-lived life is a life lived in relation to God and in response to the life that he lived for us and the love that he has for us. So today, we focus on the first part of the God-lived life, and that's the life of being a disciple. Of, of, of desiring to grow in your relationship with God, of seeking to know God more and better every day. The, the God-lived life 
craves God's word. Our text is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 2, verse 3. It's printed in the bulletin. We'll kind of read it. We'll break it up as we go along here. So, so he starts with verse 22 there. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. You see how he starts with who we are and then just tells us to to be what that means, to to do the things that come from from who you are. And he says, well, part of that is is love, right? God is love, so so love. Love one another deeply. And and the word there, deeply, the the Greek word behind it has has the the picture of intensity. It's something that we we are totally committed to and all in on. Not just when it's convenient. So he says, love one another deeply from the heart. And then he goes on. He says, why? For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Why love so committedly? Well, because you've been born again. You have a whole new life. The the living word of God. In other words, the word of God that does something. It accomplishes something. It has accomplished something in you. The living word of God. And the enduring word of God. You know, we we live and then we die and then we're gone here on this. But God's word, it, it lasts. And so Peter quotes a guy who had lived eight centuries before. But the Holy Spirit inspired him to write God's word. So he quotes Isaiah, who was long buried, but the word stands, for all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word remains. We are here and then gone, but but God's word stands. His promises endure. And then Peter says this, and this is the word that was preached to you. Let that sink in. This is the word that was preached to you. I mean, I think we'd we'd all agree that God's word is powerful, right? That's how he made the world. That's how the the universe came to be. He spoke, and, and, and there it was. His word is powerful. It does something. I think we would all agree with that. We believe that. We confess that. But do do we always live like that is the case? If I really have access to something that powerful, I'm going to want to take every possible chance I can to be connected to that power, right? I'm, I'm going to be, want to be around that at, at every opportunity. But let's be real. There's, there's probably a part of you, even here today, that came more out of duty or habit than out of an eager excitement to hear the word. Maybe it's hard. Maybe when you wake up in the morning, the, the first thing on your mind, the thing that you are most excited about for the day, it might not always be your daily devotion. Or you think about that Bible on your shelf or the, the Bible app on your phone, and, and those might not be the first thing you think of when you think of your most prized possession or your favorite app. So what does that mean? Imagine if you had gone over and above and and, and done something so that you could give to someone you love something so precious. 
and they just kind of acted like it was no big deal. How'd you feel about that? If you saw a young man get down on his knee in front of his girlfriend and give her a diamond ring that he had spent every last dime he had and then some on, and she looked at that diamond ring and just kind of tossed it to the side, you'd know something was wrong with that relationship, right? So, how does our appreciation of, our reception of God's word look? If God looks at our Bible study attendance or our, our daily devotional habits, does it look like it's the most precious thing? Yikes. But remember, it's the living and enduring word of God. It's the word that tells us of the God-lived life. Jesus, word made flesh, lived the life that God demanded, right? He cherished that word, even for the times when, when we did it. Remember, even as a 12-year-old in the temple, he didn't want to leave because the word was there. And when temptation came, it was his go-to. Right? In the wilderness, Matthew 4, the devil's tempting him. Jesus used the word of God. It was precious. He cherished it. He treated that word like we all should. But he did it perfectly in our place. And it's the word that, that tells us about what Jesus did to, to take care of all the times when, when we haven't fully appreciated the word. When he obeyed his father's word and went to the cross. The word tells us of the the life he lived and the death he died and the payment that he made, even for all our failures to, to respect that word. It tells us that, that you are purified through that word. That's why you have this. Because God loves you. And he wanted you to have something this precious. He wants you to have life and to have it to the full. And because you have that life, Peter goes on. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Since you are God's children, it doesn't make sense to live like that, right? But instead, next verse, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's been a few years since my babies were newborn, but... The picture couldn't be more vivid, could it? What happens when you give a baby a bottle and, and, and they latch on? They don't want to let go, right? And then if you pull that bottle away, you can see it, right? What happens? The, the skin turns red, the fists clench, and they scream at the top of their lungs. And, and if they could form words, you know what they'd be saying. Give me that back. Why? Well, because... They tasted it, and, and they liked it. Uh, but even more, somehow, deep down, intrinsically, they know that they need it. Right? They need that nourishment that it's giving them so that they don't die, so that, so that they can go, grow strong. So now translate that picture to the point Peter makes with it. God's word is just as necessary for our faith. Without regular feedings in God's word, our faith gets weaker and weaker and eventually dies. And God's word tastes just as sweet. What could be more sweet than to, to know that you are loved? 
my God. So, of course, Satan wants you to take that for granted. Right? I, I can't help but think of the, the post-Bick syndrome. You know what that is? Bick, Bible information class. That's, that, that's usually the first corporate Bible study that, that people get involved in here, right? I, I invite everybody and I encourage you to, to jump. If, you, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard me invite you to it again and again because it is awesome, right? It's a commitment, 12 weeks in God's word. And I don't know how many times people have told me after that was done that that was the best thing that they have ever done for their faith, right? That, that commitment to uh, consistently being in God's word with a group of people and asking questions and getting them answered and, and, and letting God do his work through his word. They have told me again and again that they have never done anything else that was better for their faith than that. So then what happens next? Satan wants us to throw that out and to not do that anymore. Right? I mean, you look at our, our Wednesday night Bible study attendance or our Sunday morning Bible study attendance, and, and, well, it does not represent the number of people who, after completing Vic, have stood up in front of here and said that they promised to be faithful in, in Bible study attendance. Why? Because Satan's powerful. He's always attacking us. He wants us to take what is so precious and so valuable and, and just act like it's not that, that big a deal. So Peter reminds us, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. And don't forget why. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. It's the word of God that he uses to rescue you from the punishment you deserve for all the times you haven't appreciated that precious gift. It's the word of God that shows you the God of life, what he's done in our place. And what strengthens you to, to fight against Satan's temptation. And what empowers you to live a God-lived life in response. Don't let Satan take that away from you. So, this month I'm going to ask you to, to commit to something. Each of you should have received one of these on the way in. If not, there will be some on, on the way out. But it's a challenge card. Because we can all sit here and say, you know what, Pastor, you're right. It's good to be in the Word. We should totally do that. Um, let's take it the next step and put it in writing. So on the, on the card, you've got, we'll talk about it more in the Bible study, but, but you've got some, some ideas of things that you can commit to. To say, you know what, this month, for one month, I'm going to do this. I'm going to cherish God's Word. And, and, and the hope is that, you know, you keep doing it after that. But for one month, I can commit to it. And, and we'll see what happens. We'll come back to that. But I'm just asking you to challenge yourself to do those things that are so good. To feed your soul with, with the, the wonderfully tasty food of God's word and, and the nourishing food of God's word. Crave that pure spiritual milk. It is good in Christ. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's rise and confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed printed on page 8 in the bulletin.
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to death, the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated as we take this opportunity to give our gifts of thanks and praise to God in the form of our offering. As the offering is gathered, please do fill out the friendship registers that are being handed down the aisle. As you put your information in there, it better allows us to do what God has called us together to do. Encourage one another on toward love and good deeds. If you would come forward, please. Dear friends, in holy baptism, our Lord Jesus Christ set you free from sin and death and made you members of his body, the church. Through word and sacrament, the Holy Spirit has nurtured your faith and increased your love. You've now been appointed to serve our Lord on behalf of this congregation. The Lord has entrusted you with responsibilities that you are to carry out according to his word. St. Paul wrote concerning service in the church, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
St. Paul spoke to all who serve the Savior. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. The Lord has promised to be with you and give you the gifts you will need to carry out this work entrusted to you. As servants of Jesus Christ and workers in this congregation, you are to set aside time for study of the scriptures so that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are to strive to be an example of Christian faith and life so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So that the congregation may be assured of your willingness to serve, I ask you, in the presence of God and of this congregation, will you diligently and faithfully carry out the work entrusted to you according to the ability which God gives you? If so, answer, I will, and I ask God to help me. I will, and I ask God to help me. I install you as elders of Abiding Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dale Danker. Greg Porter, Joel Herman, Eric Schneider, Scott Cumbie, Greg Catwell. The Lord pour out on you his Holy Spirit for the work you have been called to do, that you may faithfully carry out all your duties and responsibilities with the word of God as your confidence and guide. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, <laughs> I urge you to regard these fellow believers as servants of Jesus and God's gifts to his church. Pray for them and support them in their service so that believers may be strengthened in faith and many others may come to know their Savior and the eternal hope he gives. Let us pray. Gracious God, you bless your church through the willing work and special gifts of so many people. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit to the servants we are installing today that they may carry out their duties with diligence, wisdom, and humility. Encourage them to seek guidance from your word and lead them to pray for your direction. Help them to be good examples to others and support the work of the gospel ministry in this congregation. Keep them in your care and encourage them by your grace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and make you your service a blessing to others. Thank you. We continue with the installation of our new vicar. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our church body has established ministerial education schools so that Christ's church may have qualified men and women to serve God's people. Mark Berger has completed a portion of the training we consider necessary for service in the pastoral ministry. To further his training, he has been called to our congregation to gain experience in the regular work of the ministry under a supervising pastor. He will preach and preside at worship. He will teach our children, teens, and adults he will reach out to the lost in our community and visit those among us who are sick and dying. He will diligently study the scriptures so that he may learn to proclaim faithfully the law and the gospel to the people the Savior loves. He will observe how Christians and their pastor work together for the benefit of Christ's kingdom. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, St. Paul has instructed the church that those who are called to serve in the public ministry of the gospel must possess certain qualifications. He wrote in his first letter to Timothy, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same, same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders 
so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Vicar Berger, you have been assigned and called to serve as a vicar under my guidance in this congregation. This is an important part of your preparation for the pastoral ministry. I now ask you before God and his people, are you willing to apply yourself faithfully to your work and carry out the responsibilities given to you? If so, answer, I am, and I ask God to help me. I am, and I ask God to help me. Mark Berger, I install you as vicar at Abiding Grace Lutheran Church in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Eternal God, pour out your blessing on Vicar, who desires to serve your people as a pastor. Deepen his love for you as he recalls your grace to him. Strengthen his confidence in your word and sacraments. Instill in him a deep desire to help those who have been redeemed by your Son, and give him joy as he honors you in his service to your people. Keep in your care all those students who are preparing for the public ministry of the gospel. Raise up a new generation of workers who will go into your world, proclaiming the good news of your love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Vicar Golf, and take up the work to which you have been called. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The Lord lead you to grow in faithfulness, wisdom, and love. May he bless you and make you a blessing to many as you learn and labor among us. Amen. Almighty God, creator of this world, all good gifts come from you. We give you thanks for all that you have given to us. The bounties of the earth, fruitful labor, meaningful relationships, enjoyment of your gifts and contentment. We confess that we have not always acknowledged you as the giver of all that is good. We confess that we have not always seen the good in all that you send into our lives. We confess that we have often complained instead of praise. Lord, in your mercy. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. We give you thanks that you became man to set us free. You lived a perfect life in our place, living to please our Father, running in the path of his commands and learning and loving his ways. You died the death we deserved. You rose to ensure our forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Holy Spirit, you brought and continue to strengthen faith in our hearts through the gospel and word and sacrament. You send preachers and teachers who teach us your truth. You enlighten our minds, strengthen our hearts, and loosen our tongues to give you praise. Now give us the fervor of seeking you first and your kingdom, O God. Send us godly and faithful ministers and teachers of your word. Grant us wisdom to daily meditate on your promises. Strengthen us to follow your will and commands. Grow our desire for your truth and your word that we may better understand your love, your ways, and your peace. Lord, in your mercy. And Triune God, bless our God-lived life stewardship series. Make it an opportunity for each of us to grow in your word and in our lives of living it. Use us to be a blessing to others. Help us encourage one another in our commitments and grow us in your grace. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we come to you especially on behalf of Vernita Watkins, Mitch Dietzel's mom who fell and broke her hip. She's now recovering from surgery. Bless her through this difficult time. Help her to see you through the pain. Help her to lean on your promises. And if it is your will, restore her to health quickly. Lord, in your mercy. We also ask, Lord God, that you be with Emma Patrick, who travels to Wisconsin this week to attend Luther Preparatory School, one of our Synod's preparatory high schools, uh, preparing young people for a lifetime of service. 
Protect her, strengthen her, grow her in you, Lord, in your mercy. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We continue with our in-service Bible study uh, on the theme of the God-lived life, that that life that that craves God's word, the life of a disciple. And so our reading is from 2 Chronicles. In the history of Israel, Josiah, a a good king um, who wanted to follow God's word, uh, this is the account of when he was uh, uh, restoring the temple. They had gathered an offering and they were restoring the temple and, and notice what is found. So Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan. Then Shaphan took the book to the king and reported to him, Your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and workers. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, Ahikam son of Shaphan, Abdon son of Micah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us, because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from their territory belonging to the Israelites and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So, God's word. Josiah was the grandson of Hezekiah, who was a a good, um, or great-grandson of Hezekiah, who was a good king in the nation of Israel. Uh, He followed the will of God. He taught the people the will of God. Um, Notice how quickly the word had gone away. They find the Bible and and they're saying, oh look, look at this book we found. They obviously haven't been reading it. They obviously haven't been using it. So in the the course of two generations, you're at that point. So 
something that had been so valuable in Hezekiah's generation now was unheard of. So just kind of getting your minds into it. The first question is just introduction, not necessarily even religious, but, but just in the world, what can you think of that was valued in the past and no longer has the same value today? Any example, something that used to be very valuable and now not so much. This is the part where you guys talk. Morals. Hmm? Morals. Morals? Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything physical. Brenda. Okay, so tulips were a form of currency. That's something I'm learning. All right, excellent. Cheryl. Incense. 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 Okay, it's making a comeback, right? There's, there's uh, a lot of people, but, but yeah, it, it had other purposes, right? Um, you're getting deep. First one that came to my mind was like the horse, right? You know, people uh, they're expensive today, but used to be you needed a horse, but now not. Why not? Yeah, we have something better, right? We have, we have a car. It, it, it's, uh, you can go faster. You can do more with it. All of that. Not, I know horses are wonderful and beautiful. I'm not dismissing them, but their value to society is a little bit different now, right? Um, yeah. Think about in 1850, if you had looked at the skyline of a city... What would have been the tallest building? What's that? Okay, two stories. And so what would you see above all the buildings? Steeples, right? The most important thing was demonstrated in their architecture. Today you look at the skyline, and the churches are still that height, but now, you know, the, the banking or the commerce or things, you know, the, what, what's important to people? Um, and so now the obvious correlation, does God's word ever get treated like that? That was important at one time, but now I've got, I've got other things, right? That's certainly what had happened in, in the case of uh, Josiah there. So, into the text. Number one, in verse 19, we see that the law cut King Josiah to the heart when he tore his robes. However, fear of the law is not what motivated a change in behavior. We see the motivation in verse 32. Um, describe this. What was motivating his change of behavior? Brenda. The covenant. the covenant, right? God had made a covenant with his people. And I think we often think of the two-sided covenant he made with Israel, right? You listen to me and I'll be your God. But even before that, and superseding that, is that covenant that God made to all people. I'm going to send my son. Um, and, and I'm going to, to wipe away your sins. And I'm going, you know, God uh, doing this. And so it affects Josiah's actions. Uh, what were the effects of the word of God on the people? So he reads it. They hadn't heard it. He reads it to them. What happens? It makes them what? Okay, so Josiah says, this is important. I want you to commit to it. And they do, right? Uh, they say, absolutely, we're going to do that. And, and we read, they did. Uh, all the time Josiah was alive and, 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 and 
highlighting the importance of God's word, they didn't fail to follow the word of God. Awesome. So now apply it. Often in our everyday lives, we see the law motivate behavior but not change hearts. Give examples. How, do, how can the law motivate behavior but not change hearts? Brenda. Okay. So why don't you? Because there's a speed limit, and I know that sitting in that parking lot over there every other week, there's the uh, police officer, and so uh, I better drive. Now, if I, if I knew I was going to get away with it, it might be a little different, right? So the heart doesn't change, but i I, I got to listen to the officer, and so the, the threat of that punishment, okay, I'll, uh, I'll go the speed limit. Um, Cheryl. Okay, so sometimes the law doesn't, I mean, it doesn't change the heart, uh, but there's a punishment, and okay, I did that punishment, I'm going to go back and, and do the thing, right? Um, but the gospel, that's a whole different motivation, right? The law is do, don't do, or else. Uh, isn't it way better when we can say, when God says, I, I love you, and here's a way you can say thank you, right? So, so look at number two, in what ways can people see that the gospel has impacted your life, right? Your, your relationship with God isn't, isn't based on, I better be good or else, but God's impacted your life. Lacey, what were you going to say? last month, what's Lacey been doing every Sunday morning? People in your life know that, right? You've been in church. You're going to the Bible study on Monday. Yeah, you know, that uh, um, they can see, okay, this is important to me now because I'm committing my time to it. Excellent. Other ways that people can see the gospel has impacted your life. Okay, you're willing to share with them that good news. You, you're telling them about what God has done. Someone else is starting to answer too. The way you handle adversity. Okay, the way you handle adversity. Um, how come you're not freaking out? How come you know, you're not lashing out at other people? Uh, well, because I know God's got me. Right? Excellent. Good. Any others? How you treat other people. Excellent. Good. Yes? perspective, right? Excellent. So now, that's a good thing, right? Uh, what can we do to ensure the word is treasured for generations to come? 
how do we keep that happening? Because Hezekiah had the, had the Bible and, and they were following it. And then a couple generations later, they showed Josiah this book. What book is this? Um, how, how do we make sure that doesn't happen to us? Okay, so invite everybody to church so that more and more of the society is, is, is online with that. Okay. Someone was saying something. Uh, Becca? Keep our children in the word. Yeah, the next generation, Sunday school, 9.15, every Sunday, right? And kids club, Wednesdays at 7. Same one? Okay. What else? Preach the truth. Um, you know, not just what people want to hear, not what's popular in society, but uh, it's the word of the Lord that endures, not a church program that's built on something else. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just check the box of showing up at Sunday school, but why are we doing that? And and they learn that by the example, um, so much more powerfully than. You know, the whole do what I say, not what I do thing is, is a tough one to um, train anybody by. Yeah. Other thoughts? I read this question, I think of what you promise whenever there's a baptism. You say that you're willing to do whatever possible to ensure that whoever was baptized remain a child of God until death. And then many of you even signed the baptism certificate with that. Well, what do you mean by that? Um, it's... it's Provide, it's praying for them, right? It's providing a place where they know that they're going to hear God's word, where they have opportunities to grow in God's word. So, um, so yeah, even your support of your church would do that. Brenda? point, you know, all of, of the truth of God's word. Excellent. Other thoughts on that? Then we got the last one. Look at your commitment cards. How do each of those suggested commitments work toward this goal? So, so the way this works is you either hear or you take it home and then you take a picture of it and send it back. Um, you fill out what you want to challenge yourself to do. So, yeah, we all want to be a disciple. Um, but what does that look like? And for some of you, you may already be doing most of these things. Okay, so then pick one that you're not and, and say, let me, let me challenge myself to that so that it's a, a challenge. For some of you, you may be doing none of these things. And it's okay, which ones do I want to do? Uh, you know, that whole thing about you heard how, how you eat an elephant, right? Uh, one bite at a time. You, can't, you don't do everything all at once, uh, but, but little by little, let's grow in being that disciple, and let's challenge ourselves. Uh, not just commit to do something that's easy, but, but, but commit to do something that may be out of our comfort zone. And so you see all the things on there, you know, one of them, attend four Bible studies in the next four weeks, whether that's the Wednesday nights or the Sunday mornings. Um, the second one, participate at each Bible study. For some people, you know, okay... I'll show up and I'll watch, or I'll, I'll get on Zoom and I'll, I'll blank my screen and I'll just listen to, to the Bible study. Great! 
But it's the next level to be part of the participant, you know, to, to be participating in that and asking a question and, and, and discussing it. Be, and, and that really helps everybody else in it, too, where, where they, they gain from you. Uh, third one, bring children to Sunday school each Sunday this month. A daily Bible reading. Say, I'm going to, you know, and, and you can change the number of minutes a day if you want. Say, I'm going to do five minutes a day to start. Or I'm going to do a half hour a day because my normal is whatever. Uh, challenge yourself. Read a family devotion at dinner. There may be, you know, with kids and sports and everything else, it might be hard to have the whole family at the dinner table. Um, so make a commitment to three nights a week or whatever. Pick something. Uh, memorize one Bible passage each week. In the bulletin at, on the back page, there's uh, this week's Bible passage. If you want to commit to that, there will be one for each of the four weeks of the challenge. Uh, a Bible passage that kind of uh, emphasizes the theme of the day. Subscribe to and share Abiding Grace podcast, so the sermon podcast, um, where you can listen to the sermon again and share it with someone. Uh, complete the new Bible information class. That one's longer than four weeks. That's a 12-week commitment. Uh, that's Tuesday nights at 7 or Monday nights at 6.30. Um, both are, are happening. The Monday is behind, the, the week behind, so it's the makeup for the Tuesday. Or listen to the daily devotion email. Um, there's a, an email you can sign up for on our website, and every day you get an email and just click the link and, and it plays a daily devotion. All sorts of opportunities. Pick what's good for you, mark it down, and then after the service, um, we'll make copies of it so that you can have it and, and we have a copy, or you can text me or Patty a picture of it, um, however you want to do that, uh, or you can write down, what you can take a picture for yourself and, and put it in the, in the basket in the back there. Um, but that's how the challenge cards work. Does that make sense? All right. So how do each of those suggested commitments work toward our goal of ensuring the word is treasured today and for generations to come? Why are we doing this? Okay, practice what we're learning. Yeah, so taking it just from a, a head knowledge to a, a, a life yeah, the uh, um, living it. Good. Cheryl. Strengthen our relationship with the Lord. Right? Time in His Word bears fruit. Uh, excellent. Awesome. Well, good. Let's close with the blessing then. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Live in harmony with one another. Serve the Lord with gladness. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen.
good morning again and welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, welcome to our new vicar. At the end, I'm going to ask you to come out with me and, and, uh, and, and Aislinn too, if you wouldn't mind, so that everybody can meet you on the way out. Um, and remember, you guys are learning really one and a half names because vicar, it's cheating. He's using the same name as the last guy. So, so you got vicar and then Aislinn. You only have to learn one name, really. They've got to learn... Hundred names. So every time you see them, tell them your name again and again until they until they got it. Um, as we we welcome them and, and look forward to to working together, um, he'll give a lot of you opportunities to work alongside of him. So so look for ways to to, to do that. Um, challenge cards I explained during the Bible study. So please uh, um, fill those out. Uh, and one of the things is attending Bible study. Of course, we have our, our Sunday morning at 9.15. Next week, we're going to be digging into a series on in-season and out-of-season, so talking about God's Word uh, applying uh, when it's really easy for it to apply, and even in the times when it's not so easy for it to apply. So uh, so come, there'll be a couple weeks of that, um, 9.15 on Sunday, Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. There's Kids Club, uh, Confirmation Class for Middle Schoolers, Youth Group, uh, Adult Bible Study, all going on at 7 o'clock. Um, on Thursday is family game night, right? Six o'clock to eight o'clock. Um, so come on out. It's just a fellowship thing. Have fun. Bring a game. Bring a, a snack to pass if you'd like. Uh, and then there's sign-up sheets out there uh, for the fuzz run. So a couple weeks ago, we had a table at the One Newton Family Fun Day, and a bunch of you came out, and it was a lot of fun. We were making snow cones. We were talking to people. We were giving invitations. And from that... Um, we've already had one person who's been at two lessons of Bible information class from that connection um, and, and someone else who's here with us today in worship. I'm not going to, you know, point them out or anything, but there are several visitors or guests with us today. Thank you for being here. Um, and I'm just saying that table thing really worked. Uh, it was an awesome connection to our community. We're doing it again at the Fuzz Run. So the Fuzz Run will be the ninth, the second Saturday in, in September, and there's also the Expo on Friday. If you're willing to come out to that table, sign up, put what times you're willing to come out to it for, because Friday is all day in the place where people are picking up their, their numbers, and then Saturday is just the time of the race. And if you'd like to bring some goodies for us to give out there, uh, you can do that too. So that sign-up sheet, I saw a couple people make their way up here. Are there more announcements? Yes. All right. Good morning. See, Melissa up here reminds me that the children's choir is starting again on September 10th. 10th. Yes. So, um, yep. And, and so is adult choir on September 10th, uh, jumping back in. And Brian, do I have to leave again? Yeah, one more. 
Okay, okay. So God bless your week as you live for him, and I'll see you back at the door after I hear the bell.